0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the least listened-to podcast on the globe, the Six Sense Media podcast, with your host Mike Phelan. Hi, how you doing today? Oh, I'm great. I'm always great. It's a beautiful day in Greensboro.
1: <laughs> so, uh, my first question is, uh, why the toy industry? Why, why make that your uh, your passion and your career?
0: Ah. Uh, have you, have you seen behind? <laughs> I know. I got, I got the same problem. <laughs> yeah, it, it would look like this, whether I worked in the toy industry or not. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, just like yourself and a lot, a lot of the people that I think are on your channel and on uh, my channel on YouTube, uh, Spectra Creative, shameless plug. Um, I've been a collector my whole life. I've, I've always loved toys, um, you know, as I as I. But I, was, I basically wanted to get into the toy industry right out of college. And uh, after getting uh, you know, uh, rejection letters for, for several years, of, or, or not as much rejection letters as much as the standard postcards from Hasbro and Mattel telling me I, they had my resume on file, um, I finally managed to connect directly with someone and, and really land what was a dream job. I never expected to get to do what I've done. But it's absolutely been passion driven. I, I love toys. I love the psychology behind toys. I love collecting toys i I love the feeling of getting toys. and uh, yeah, it really just comes from love. Uh,
1: that's something that it's kind of hard to explain to people that aren't into it. Like my wife doesn't care at all for anything in the entertainment industry. So when she sees it, like I buy you know a, a Miss Pac-Man machine or I buy a giant axe or you know something like that she just she doesn't get it she doesn't get why a grown man wants this stuff but there's just there's something it's not adolescence per se but it's something else but I, I don't know exactly how to explain it it's just something about the details of the toys the art that goes into them that's just so endearing to people
0: and i mean one i i can completely relate on our third date the first time my wife uh, came to my apartment and she saw I had Narsal on my wall. When you were saying, you know, a giant ax, like, yeah. It's like, you have a giant sword hanging on your wall. That's interesting. Um, But I mean, she's definitely grown to be very supportive and understand it. One of the things though, that, that really, you know, as I said, that fascinated me about toys is really is that the psychology behind it and, you know, I think it, it kind of comes down to the two things of acquisition that having a complete collection. I mean, you know, the old superpowers collect them all mm-hmm. gives us a, such a feeling of accomplishment. And I mean, that's a good thing. Um, you know, most hobbies don't, I mean, you know, don't necessarily provide that. I mean, you know, you can go fishing or hunting, you know, have a trophy to mount or maybe get a good score in golf, but with action figures, you know, it's not like just watching sports where it's passive. You know, it's an interactive hobby. And these characters that we collect are mostly, you know, fictional characters. I mean, every once in a while, you might get like a George Washington action figure, but it gives us control over it. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, here's Thanos, right? You know, like, you know, one of the most powerful characters in the universe. Well, I have the ability to pose him any way I want and make him do it. I could have him... I could have him talk to a, uh, a space bunny, you know, and, and, and have an adventure with a space bunny. It gives me control. And we watch this entertainment, which is passive, but having action figures, I think, really gives people a sense of ownership over, over these fictional characters that we love so much.
1: That, that makes sense. Uh, it's, I, have a, I have a daughter who I got her into He-Man recently way to go yeah (laughs) thanks thanks to the origins line um but just to see her once i explained the relationships at first she was like i i don't really care for he-man but then i found she-ra luckily enough and i said this is her brother and then i broke it down even further i even said okay skeletor is married to evil lynn i tried to break it down into the relationships that i know she plays with her barbies with and once she had that information she took it and expanded on it in ways that I didn't even think she would. And then when I got her Castle Grayskull uh, last week, it just it, it blew up. She's like, oh, my God, there's an, there's an actual world now that I can use all this in. And maybe it's, that, maybe it's trying to hold on to that little bit of wonder that we had as a kid also makes, continues to make toys endearing. There, there's something about that innocence that we just like, just trying to latch onto, just a tiny bit of it, and uh, that's that's the that's the easiest way I can think of explaining it on my end. It's just uh, I, I I get so much happiness seeing how she enjoys playing with those things, and I kind of want that for myself. And I know I can't have that anymore, but it's just by proxy, I guess. Would be the easiest way to say it.
0: Yeah, how old's your daughter? Seven. Seven. Mine's eleven. Um, yeah, you know, in, in a way, like, it kind of saddens me that I don't know how to play with toys <laughs> anymore. You know, it's like, I remember, like, making up, advent- you know, I grew up in Connecticut. And one of the things I loved about that was the weather. So every, uh, you know, every winter, you know, Hoth fell in my mm-hmm. backyard. And we lived next to the woods. So Endor was, like, next to my house. And, you know, it's like now, yeah, action figures are like trophies on our wall. And, you know, being able to sit down and be like, you know, there's nothing like sitting down with kids. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that is wonderful. And it's like when kids get the story and it's like one of the one of the big things I'm always saying is, you know, when people say, like, you know, the problem with kids using tablets these days and screens and not playing with toys, there's a simple answer to all that. Parent your child. Mm, Yeah. Take responsibility, like take the tablet out of their hand and put. You know, a, a doll, an action figure, a board game, a chess piece, a jump rope, a ball, whatever. You know, kids need play, especially now with everything going on with the, you know, being shut down for a year and not having, uh, being able to, you know, converse with their peers and have playtime at school and losing out on that. Kids need play so badly. Mm-hmm. Wow. My wife has a child play therapist. Uh, so, you know, this is like all we talk about between my interest in toys and her professional uh, you know, views of it. It's like, play is so important.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you first get into um, into Mattel? What was that process that broke you into that industry?
0: Uh, so I, I, even though I, was, I grew up in Connecticut, uh, but I moved to California a little before high school, uh, and then went to college in California. I lived in Orange County, which is about an hour south of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and every time we would drive up to Los Angeles, uh, the main freeway, there's the 405, or aka the parking lot, yeah. and uh, back then in the 80s and 90s, Mattel had its headquarters in Hawthorne, and it was right off the 405, so as you'd be driving, you would see this giant brick building with a giant the Mattel uh, Spike logo right there. And I'm like, Oh my God, Mattel, like the people who make He-Man are right there. That was like mind blowing. So, uh, you know, I went to college, I studied film and communication. I actually wrote my senior thesis on using action figures as a marketing vehicle for movies, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like a toy. Um, I got a C on it because my professor said it wasn't, it was too opinionated. And I wanted to send her my business card years later and say, it's not an opinion when you're right. <laughs> um, but regardless, so I, you know, I was always very passionate about toys. Uh, but like I said, you know, I started of start applying to Mattel right at, after college. But it is, it's, it's hard to get your foot in the door. And what did it for me was uh, going to Comic-Con in San Diego, being lucky enough that I could just drive down there and back, you know, 20 years ago, you could just walk into the show and buy a ticket. Uh, and so I was there with, uh, with my, uh, I was, I had been working in advertising in, I was working in glaucoma medic medication advertising at a college. I got my first job as a writer doing, um, medical, uh, promotional materials, uh, and ads in a, um, for a large pharmaceutical company and was specifically working. I could tell you more about glaucoma than you ever wanted to know, but what interested Mattel was... Uh, well, I basically, I was at the Mattel booth and struck up a conversation with a gentleman, Ed, uh, Eddie Hayden, who was the Justice League brand manager uh, for a little of the Bruce Tim figures. Mm-hmm. Probably a couple, anyway, there's, there's prototype black off these guys. Um, yep. Although this one's not painted. Um, and, uh, you know, I was actually there to show someone completely different my portfolio, but he mentioned, he's like, you know, Mattel is always looking for writers. And when I showed him my portfolio, Realizing that what I was doing was navigating all of the fine print of medical advertising and you know, the, the, the adverse events and the, the warnings and the government labels, I hadn't realized how transferable that skill set is to the toy industry because the toy industry is also very regulated. Mm-hmm. Small park warning, licensor logos, uh, you know, international warning logos, all of that stuff. And so they happened to be looking for a copywriter in Hot Wheels who had that skill set. And so he was able to get me an interview, and I came in, and they were very impressed, not only with the skill set of being able to actually write uh, sort of commercial copy that was aware of the legal aspects, which is not a skill set I think every writer does, but also my passion for toys. Um, I remember in my my initial interview, or, you know, it was like around Robin, and one of the VPs who interviewed me asked me the last time I went into a toy store, and I said, well, 15 minutes ago on my way in, I wanted, I went to one to kind of like walk the aisle and relax. And he was like blown away that I did that. Like I do that every day. Um, So yeah, my passion basically got me in the door and that skill set. And I was able to sort of work my way up from being a writer in the packaging Hot Wheels group to getting into the marketing group where I pitched doing more adult collector product, essentially saying, I'm buying X amount of dollars of toys every month for me, not for my daughter, not for, you know, kids, other kids, friends, for me. And none of that is going to my own company, Mattel, at the time. Um, so I said, you know, we should really take advantage of this market. And I, made, I put together a proposal and uh, the general manager, Tim Kilpin, who actually also started as a writer and worked his way up to be. He was like the marketing manager on He-Man in 83, 84. He created the Snake Men. Um, so, he kind of really saw a lot of sort of me and him, I guess you could say. And he gave me a shot, moved me over into the marketing group, and I got put on DC because they had just gotten the master license for the DC, uh, like not just Superman and Batman that they had mm-hmm. previously, everybody. So, I ran DCU Classics, and Maddie Collector became sort of the uh, fruition of my proposal. And I spent about 10 years at Mattel. Had, getting to meet amazing people, work on amazing product, and after that, I stayed in the toy industry. I, st- I mean, I still am. I, I worked for Jax, Pacific for a while, as a director of marketing for Jada, Entertainment Earth, uh, and then about two years ago, my family and I moved to Greensboro, North Carolina, and since then, I have operated Spectre Creative, spectrecreative.com, or Spectre Creative YouTube, plug number two, shameless. Um, And I consult with both large toy companies and individual entrepreneurs who want to develop toy product or really any. I've done beauty product. I've done I I have a client who's done uh, embroidery product. But what what I really learned in the toy industry, which kind of sets my consulting firm apart, is everything, every every client I have, every toy, every anything is always from the emotional connection. Because, as we were saying in the beginning, toys have such a unique emotional connection, especially to adults. I mean, to kids, mm-hmm. they play playthings, but to us, it's different. And cracking that has really been the the secret of my or you know, secret of my success, or has been the key to a lot of what I've been able to accomplish. Is attacking any project, whether it's you know making DCU classics figures or Jada minis, or you know helping my client who does embroidery work, understanding. What is the emotional connection between the consumer and the product, not just, oh, I need that or, oh, I want that. Like, Why do they need that? What you know, is, is it alleviating boredom? Is it creating a sense of accomplishment? Is it making someone feel in control? So that's what I love about toys. They do all that. Uh,
1: speaking of your time at Mattel and many classics, I was, I was big. Or not, I'm sorry. Matty. Motu Classic two classics and uh, Maddie collector it do you think it that Maddie collector came about at the wrong time the reason I say this is because when the when Motu classics and Ghostbusters launched it was right at the recession so me and everybody else was unemployed and then along comes a a new Ghostbuster line of great figures by the Four Horsemen and we just There was just no money to go around, so I, I don't, I know it kind of petered out a little bit at the end. But do you think it would have been better if it had started later or started earlier?
0: Um, It's interesting that you put it that way because yeah, I mean I was also very affected by the uh, um, economic crash. Like we had just bought a condo like Mm. six months earlier, and now suddenly it was worth less than we paid for it six months earlier. but what I would almost kind of sort of counter with mm-hmm. is it worked so much better then, in the sense that if we try to do that now, toys have gotten so expensive. Mm-hmm. Like back then, you know, when we uh, Motu Classics figure was twenty bucks when we launched, by the time the line ended in twenty fifteen, they were twenty five bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, well fast forward today and a DC, or a mo a Marvel Legends figure is twenty five dollars. Yep. So imagine what a Maddie collect you know could we really sell, you know, Motu Classics for like 40 or $50 a pop? You know, Super 7 is kind of doing that. Yeah, with their um,
1: Ultimates and, line, yeah.
0: Exactly. So I think it would actually be a lot harder today. I think like we're, I, I, it's funny because I've thought about that um, several times and I think I'm very grateful we did it when we did it because, mm-hmm. you know, Castle Grayskull was what, 350 I think? I mean, yes. we're talking yeah, it would be at least like seven, $800 now for the same exact toy.
1: That's what Snake but, Mountain was going for when it came out, yeah. a couple, uh, what, two years
0: ago, I think? And that would probably be even 100 or $200 more now. I mean, mm-hmm. labor is skyrocketing. Um, I actually did a video about this thing just last week. Um, you know, like, because people are really concerned about the increasing, you know, both Mattel and Hasbro have publicly released press releases saying, yep, prices are going up before mm-hmm. Christmas, like, you know, but I know, I mean, I know why from, being in the 20th century, it's labor. Uh, labor is the driving factor b- behind that. And for that reason, I think that, you know, Maddie Collector was the right, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely global recession. That was not, you know, didn't help, but I think it would be worse now.
1: Yeah, uh, even, even when I did get a job, I made sure I was putting money aside for those things. And I would be at my desk in my office and when something would drop on Maddie Collector, I'd be the first guy there refreshing that page. Forever. It was you? Yeah. You were the <laughs> I was the guy that was crashing it so, because I just, I had to get the Neutrona one. I had to get, before they launched the subscription service for Ghostbusters, to get that Ghostbuster figure. Because, I mean, that was important to me. That was kind of my therapy for being unemployed for almost a year. Uh, I'd never been unemployed since I was 15. So it was really, it really messed me up. Uh, not having a job and then when i finally got one i was like i need these things as my form of therapy i need i need i need a peter venkman figure in a box brand new just put it on a shelf i feel better
0: i feel like i'm starting to accomplish something and that's like exactly what we said at the very start Mm -hmm. about how yeah feeling of accomplishment like these little things you know they're not they're six inch figures but yeah it makes us feel very accomplished and comforted Mm -hmm. um and uh Oh, I had a thought with like the first thing you said, you're saying about buying the, being at work and uh, I don't, oh, it's gone, but I'm sure it'll be back. Try,
1: refreshing and trying to get into Maddie Collector because I guess there, oh, there oh. must have been a huge influx of traffic on that site.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we did, you know, I know there was a lot of, you know, the issues, red screen of death, white screen of death, digital river. The thing is, and I, you know, I hate saying it like this, but, we were doing the best we could with the resources we had. I look at things like Hasbro Pulse now and I'm so jealous because, you know, like when they did the sail barge and they had like 3D walkthrough models, mm-hmm. you know, we had like a foam model that I personally cut out and like propped up. Like, you know, we were literally doing it with like spit and java wax. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I look at what Hasbro Pulse is doing or even, you know, Mattel has like their new sort of Maddie collector, was it Mattel Creations? Is that is it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: And it's like, I'm so jealous that they have such, you know, it's not that we, anyone was against us. I mean, we were very supportive, but we just didn't have that much resources in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, money, like non media to spend on advertising or even like, you, you know, I mean, we were doing it all like, you know, on the weekends and at night and you know, like all the, all of the images from Maddie Collector, we were like shooting on someone's empty cubicle. Like, I mean, it was really, for a giant company like Mattel, it's like surprising that we were doing it like so much on the fly mm-hmm. and I wish we'd had more resources, you know, like we had better shipping, more bandwidth. Um, and I remembered the thought I had, it was that, you know, it would have been great to be able to have Ghostbusters and Motu Classics at retail. But nobody wanted it. You know, I think like there's like rumors around that like we purposely he- held it back from retail. But looking at the context, you have to remember there was no Ghostbuster movie, unlike mm-hmm. now. There's Ghostbuster product in retail because there's a movie.
1: Yep.
0: Um, you know, the He Man has two cartoon shows on right now, hence, content drives retail interest. And the last Motu line before classics came packaged with VHSs.
1: Yes, I had those. I had those two figures, yep.
0: (laughs) And it bombed at retail. It totally tanked at retail. It barely made it a year and a half. Mm -hmm. The collector product that was sold at conventions did great, which is how we knew there was a collector audience. But the kid audience, which supports retail lines, was non-existent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like the only person that was interested was like Entertainment Earth. But their quotas weren't even close to what you would have needed to do a retail line. So we needed like a Target, a Toys R Us you know we tested it at Toys R Us like with those two packs with, with Superman.
1: Yes. Yeah, uh, I remember those. And
0: Ghostbuster items, but they did okay. They didn't, you know, mm-hmm. do good enough for Toys R Us to say, "Hey, we want a whole He-Man line or we want a whole Ghostbusters line." Yeah, you need a movie. You need you need cartoon shows.
1: Yeah, I think the only time I saw Ghostbusters, there was a four-pack of the Ghostbuster 2 uh, Christmas ones, and then Walmart had their own Four Horsemen Ghostbuster figures, but I remember I think I bought one and then I opened it up and compared it next to my other one. And the quality was just, it was crap. It just, it wasn't the same.
0: So really interesting. I should totally do a video about this one. So um, I left Mattel before the, in 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. and the Ghostbuster movie with the, with the girls that came out in sixteen. When yeah. we all tried. To, yeah. <laughs> and when we did Ghostbuster classics on Maddie, Um, which is funny because I never said that on package, but that's always how I referred to it. Like Mm -hmm. Moji classics, DC classics, that was supposed to be Ghostbuster classics. Um, My plan in the back of my head and part of the justification for the tooling and the way I sold it in management was in a movie year, we'll be able to take these same tools, strip them down, you know, deco-wise, accessory-wise, and sell them at retail. And when I saw that line at Walmart, I'm like, that's what we were, that was the plan. And yes, the reason they felt cheaper, that was deliberate because the mm. Maddie versions were the collector versions. The ones at retail were kid versions. They weren't meant for the discriminating collector. And that's why you know, they, they didn't have, like we made sure that the Maddie versions had all those accessories like the books and the ghosts and the traps and the, all that stuff. It was all very deliberate knowing that if a movie year happened, we could take the same tool because that's the expensive part is the tool. Once mm-hmm. you have own the, own the mold, it's very inexpensive to make a figure. Um, you're just playing for the you know the plastic and the labor, as opposed to the mold is is like a large capital investment of hundred grand per figure. So yeah, your your uh, your evaluation is right on. That, it was meant <laughs> the a what we say cheaper but cost reduced right. version because that yeah that we knew that we could never. Maddie allowed us to afford that deco and afford that quality because we could upcharge. That's why you got it.
1: Uh, what's your opinion on how Super 7 handled uh, Motu Classics when they took over?
0: Um, I, I mean, I did buy all the Classics figures. I didn't buy the, the uh, animation ones just because I wouldn't have collected that anyway, even if I was at Mattel. Yeah. Uh, like sort of like, but I mean, that's just like a personal thing, you know, like that was my line. So I did get them all. Um, some of them, like Lodar, were figures that I worked on that were developed at Mattel. That when they took over, they you know, just picked up the, the ball and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Others were original characters that, they, that were not worked on, like Fangor and uh, the mummy uh, Raptrap. Um, you, you could definitely tell a, a very distinct quality change in the plastic. Um, but I mean, for me, I was just excited that it was continuing um you know i wish it i wish it hadn't had to end um i thought they were like get improving with each wave um obviously the prices made me cringe a little bit but i understood why you know it's such a small company like what they mm-hmm. need to charge um but overall i mean i thought you know my favorite thing they were doing was the uh basically almost like the origins figures when they were they were doing characters that looked like they came out in the 80s mm-hmm. uh, like doing hero and eldor on the power of grayskull cards is like brilliant loved it like so awesome i hate that they had that like pulled away because i thought they were right on the money with what they were doing um so yeah i mean fan of it i mean they were definitely qc issues but you know it was cool i liked it hi my cat walked in
1: <laughs> uh and what are your thoughts on the origins line uh, actually getting it in retail at an affordable price what do you think about how those figures look and feel
0: um i mean i do de- i definitely really like it the, the um I, I don't own that many uh, mm-hmm. much like what i was saying about like, the club grace called the filmation one i already kind of have my definitive he-man collection in classics and you know it's like only how many definitive he-man collections do i either a have the budget for or room to display mm-hmm. um so i've sort of i've definitely cherry picked origins but the ones i've gotten um, I've been really happy with. Um, I have Scareglow, I have Skeletor, uh, Shira, and Tila there. Um, I'd, I'd buy Trapjaw if I could ever find him. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think they're very kid-friendly. You know, I love the bright colors. I love that they don't have much deco that most of the color is done with uh, plastic, col- you know, uh, color. That mm-hmm. is very friendly for kids. Um, and I love the customization aspect that you can pull them apart in so many ways i like we should have done that with classes. that's awesome um what concerns me is that it's at retail mm-hmm. and that it that it, it's going to take kids be like it's a very it, it's a sofa bed line um it's not quite a kid line and not quite a collector line versus revelation is clearly a collector line mm-hmm. and the CGI show is clearly a kid line like Line in the sand. Yeah. So, what worries me about Origins from working in the toy industry is that it's kind of straddling that line. And that's tough because, again, you look at 2000X, the line sold great to collectors. We loved it, but we're not enough. You know, it needed kids to keep it at retail. Mm-hmm. Um, professionally, from an analyst standpoint, I think that Origins was always just meant as a placeholder to stake out that space at retail so that the netflix content related product both revelations and cgi could then take that over um if i was a betting man you know by february when the uh next retail switchover happens it'll just be revelation and cgi product mm. i'm not rooting for origins to fail i would love her to keep going i want a mighty specter not gonna happen <laughs> but um It just, it worries me that it's a lot like, you know, kids need to really know the brand. Maybe they will discover it through the Netflix stuff and they'll also like Origins. But one of the reasons that the 2000X series didn't do well with kids is the design aesthetic wasn't appealing to kids of that generation. They saw He-Man as a naked guy in a furry underwear. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas as kids in the 80s, we saw him, I mean, you know, we had Stallone and, and, and Schwarzenegger and, you know, uh, you know, all these muscular, you know, uh, heroes in the movies. So, and, you know, now all of the superheroes are these skinny nerds, you know, Peter Parker, Doctor Strange, Tony Stark, you know, they're not giant muscle men. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to succeed. I really, really do. Um, I just, as a fan and as an industry insider, I have concerns about its longevity.
1: I honestly don't know if the, uh, the Kevin Smith uh, Masters of the Universe thing is going to pull kids in. Uh, I just, even if I were to watch it and just forget everything I know about Masters, there was nothing in it that would be like, wow, I really want to get to know more about this. It's kind of like you're, you're kind of downgrading your main hero and you're being very cynical about it, and kids don't want cynicism in in their play. That they don't understand it. But well, uh. yeah,
0: you know, I, I but I don't think that show is for kids at all. I mean, no. it, it, even you know from a uh, you know content, you know, there's blood and. Mm-hmm. But this, have you seen the CGI show?
1: I've seen uh, bits and pieces of it, and uh, and uh, Neon and uh, Gigi Sparkles have covered it quite a bit, but I. It'd be hard for me to sit down and actually watch it and kind of turn off that part of my brain that's going to want to pick it apart. But I may let my, my daughter watch and see what she says. But the overall aesthetic, I actually really like. I like that it's not trying to replicate Filmation. It's not trying to replicate, uh, it's trying to replicate uh, 2000X. It, it's its own thing, totally separate. And I think that if you can actually find the toy line, that's another point. I've yet to find a single action figure from that line in any store here in Florida. Have you gone to Walmart? Yes. Really? Our Walmarts? Basically, if you walk down the action figure aisle at Walmart, they're dead. You'll find one G.I. Joe figure, you'll find a old school Kenner Ghostbuster figure, a whole bunch of Godzilla versus Kong stuff, and then it's still dead. Even Masters of the Universe, they'll always have a Skeletor and a He-Man, but that's it. No play sets, no other figures. Even at Target, it's Skeletor, He-Man, nothing else. And that that figure line has not made it into that real spa- retail space here, at least. And like five targets that we have in Tampa that are almost
0: right next to each other. Well, because I think the, the CGI show is exclusive to Walmart for this season. So you're How not... Yeah, anywhere huh. else. Um, it was part of the deal that they made with Walmart that goes back to Origins. It was like, I mean, obviously I don't have any inside knowledge I wasn't there for the deal, but I know uh-huh. how this stuff works because I've made similar deals with retailers. And I, I mean, I do know it's exclusive to Walmart. I mean, I have read that factually. Um, and I'm con- guessing, and I, I mean, I, I know I'm extrapolating, but based on my experience, the deal for with Origins being it, having that exclusive window and the deal was part of the deal with CGI because you know, I'm, I'm picturing the, uh, the selling meeting with the Walmart mm-hmm. buyer, um, who is an awesome guy. I know him well, I respect him. Uh, you know, saying, okay, you guys, if you guys take Origins in 2020 and you, you, you take it for an exclusive window, we will give you an exclusive window on the new show's product. Mm-hmm. Because again, that's the money's with kids and that's the line that should sell well um i've seen the show i've watched all the episodes i it's great for kids from my opinion i mean it hits it it not only hits the spreadsheet things like all of the characters have transformations they all have icons they all have visual powers and signature weapons like all that kind of stuff but it it has heart it has humor um you know i have high hope i mean. of all the content for Masters Universe that's come out since Filmation, you know, including New Adventures and 2000X and, and mm-hmm. the Dolph Lundgren movie, I think that this CGI show has the best shot of getting a new generation into the brand. Um, I think it's very well done for kids. Revelation, you know, I think was supposed to be a love letter to the fans, but it <laughs> also not maybe written by people who aren't fans. Um would be maybe a way of, you know I know geeky sparkles has said things like that. We, so, yeah, uh,
1: Ke- Kevin you know. Smith already dragged us through the dirt for calling him out. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I have, I followed the uh, the drama, and I love Kevin Smith's Clerks cartoon. It was like my, and still is one of my favorite things. When I when I heard he was making He Man, I was like, all right, more cartoons from Kevin Smith. And then I saw the show. Uh, I didn't like it. I didn't hate it the way I think a lot of people did because I went into it very like. Well, it's going to be a what if, you Mm -hmm. know, it's but the the problem was it was marketed poorly. They 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 marketed it as a sequel to filmation, Mm -hmm. which legally and physically it's not. And if they just said this is going to be like Mar, I mean, like Marvel's what if was advertised as crazy, wacky, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Carter is Captain America and, and Captain America is a zombie. And, you know, like. They 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 didn't hide behind that and that and what if was fun, mm-hmm. and I think that if they they marketed Revelation as like okay it's an all new take it's you know a what if on the He Man universe I think it would have gone over that.
1: Yeah, I think if they had started from ground up with something original, it feels like it was a sequel to the toy line, the original toy line, than anything else. Maybe well, some of the mini comics.
0: That's all Mattel has legal access to. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for some reason, people don't believe me when I say things online, but Mattel loses the rights to Masters of the Universe in 2023, to mm-hmm. Universal. Like, you know, if you don't believe me, somebody ask Mattel that. Like, <laughs> I find it so funny when people, like, keep posting, like, you know, that I'm lying or I'm like, maybe things changed. But when I left, you know, that was pretty written in stone. Like, that was not changing. So... Mm-hmm. You know I was I mean?
1: surprised that they were no longer making DC figures because, for the longest time, it was it was your group and Mattel making those classic figures, and when it stopped and it started spreading out to McFarlane and everybody else, it's like, wow, this is this is a change. I don't know if I particularly <laughs> like it.
0: DC pulled the license.
1: Oh, I, it wasn't just part of a deal that just fell through. And just oh no it. no,
0: Mattel failed to do what DC more than wanted them to do, and they pulled the uh, license.
1: Wow, I, I didn't know that. I was unaware.
0: Huh. And and then they broke it up, because Mattel had the master license, yep. so that's what they broke it up over multiple companies. Mattel still has a portion of it. They have preschool um, and some other things, like Imagine X, but yeah, no, no, this was not Mattel's like choice.
1: Yeah, I, I miss seeing those classic figures because whenever there was an interesting Batman, I would always grab one. Or if there was like uh, a Superman that looked closer to Christopher Reeve, I would grab that and I thought that line was great and it always seemed to be taking up most of the space in the action figure aisle at a target. It always had a nice like five rows of, of figures. But now that I'm looking when I see, when I see DC figures now and I see them from McFarlane, I'm kind of like, it's just, it's not going to look right. Sitting next to like my Dr. Fate or something else. Cause they just don't, they don't have that same look that that's coming right out of the comic. They just, I don't know how to explain that. It's just, it, it's aesthetically just not my thing because I got so used to how Mattel made them that I really liked
0: it. Well, And what I liked the most about DCU classics was the fact that it blended so well with every other, you know, Marvel Legends and, mm-hmm. and Motu classics, and you, know, you could pose them next to each other. What, what Todd is doing over at McFarlane is, I mean, and he said this at, at conventions and stuff, he basically wanted to do something very different. Mm-hmm. he wanted to go in a different direction he didn't want to just like continue doing you know he deliberately did it in a seven inch scale which that it's amazing how much that one inch really does change things um you, know, you can get away with half an inch in either direction but like you can go six and a half or five and a half and it'll still work but once you hit seven inches it it doesn't blend and you said like well what style it's Todd McFarlane style it's Todd's mm-hmm. interpretation which is legit I mean he can do that but yeah not for me I, I mean, I have a lot of Spawn figures from the 90s. I've got Mel Bulls over there. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got some Angelas behind me. Um, I love Todd McFarlane's toys. Uh, um, I, I don't get the DC toys for the same reason as you, they don't go with the rest of my collection. Yep. But for those who like it, God bless. And, uh, and Spin Master's doing kid product. That's the thing. You know, they're, they're doing product that ideally appeals to children. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hopefully more kids are playing with, you know, more DC characters these days.
1: Uh, my final question would be, How is there a way to strike a balance between the kid market and the collector market to make more of these IPs flourish? Is there any way that a Mattel or, or a Hasbro could make something that's affordable but good enough for the discerning collector?
0: I mean, Marvel Legends does that, I think, very well. Um, you know, as does Star Wars Black Series. We tend as collectors to be skewed and say, oh, that's for me but they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be uh, earning their space in the retail aisle where, as you know, it's in the industry uh, performing the velocity necessary, which means like the sales per week, et cetera, if they didn't also sell the kids. Um, so, I mean, yes, I, you know, I mean, they're out there, you know, I, like if you look at what Star Wars was doing back when Daryl the Priest was running the line for, you know, 10, 12 years, uh, during like Power of the Jedi through like episode one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that was an amazing time because again, the bulk of that to- those toys were selling to kids, but they were doing like the most obscure, you know, General Medine and Effin Mon and like these characters that kids would have no idea. Um, and to me, that really represents that perfect harmony of kid and collector. Um, you know, you've got interesting looking alien characters, uh, but they still keep Darth Vader on shelf as much as possible, um, you know, circling back to our, you know, opening questions about, you know, kids with screens and stuff, it really, you know, and and Maddie Collector, when you were asking if it was the right time, it's a changed world now. You know, it's not what it was in the 80s when we had so much new toy content, you know, everything from My Little Pony to He-Man, Transformers, all these new shows, you know, Care Bears, Gem, you know, all of this stuff generating toys and content. Now, with everything being, the things that have changed, you've got kids binging shows on Netflix. So they'll go through an entire show in, in a day or a week, and there's no time. It's not like with us where, you know, every you know, weekday when He-Man was on or every Friday or Saturday morning, and then we would go, you know, instead of the whole around the water cooler, you'd gather around the slide and you'd discuss it. And that doesn't exist anymore. So there's no time for that communal feeling or f- like fandom to be nurtured. Um, and between that and screens and TikTok, like replacing toy time and you know with the pandemic and everybody being under such stress and parents being like fine fine just use the screen like i you know i'm so exhausted it's all you know it's tough Mm -hmm. very tough time what i think is needed the most is new ip like new completely original concepts that would work for toys and the obstacle to that is a lot of the people that control the purse strings are very hesitant to greenlight something that's not proven.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, which is why we have Star Wars 9.0 and He-Man 5.0 and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Greenlighting something, you know, I mean, the, the idea that He-Man launched with no content back in the day, just colorful box art and mini comics is like mind blowing today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I have hope. I really do. I think the world, we need new, we need new content that's the best thing to get kids and collectors united because if they can get around a brand new brand and it can become sort of a beacon of this generation both for kids and us as adults um that could really turn things around
1: all right scott Uh, thank you very much for coming on i truly appreciate it i've i've been watching your channel for a while much to my wife's chagrin because she's like how could you listen to someone talk about toys i'm like I work in the entertainment industry, I, I need to know what's going on and how things change and what happened and I want to know what happened to these huge toy lines so listening to you talk about your experiences has been eye opening for one and great to know that someone that was very passionate about uh, DC and He-Man was trying to make the best product possible for guys like me who want to spend all our disposable income on <laughs> on six inch muscle man.
0: <laughs> hey, I, you know, I'm sitting in your chair too. Absolutely. You know, I do, do that love it out of love. And thank you for having me on. It's great to chat toys Cause yeah, it's like, well, like you said, I, I don't get to chat my, with my wife about, you know, frogman here. So um, it's wonderful to, to be able to chat toys and, you know, anyone. Yeah. Shameless plug final number three yep. for a YouTube channel. I always love suggestions for topics. So, you know, go in the comment section, let me know what people want to know. And, if it's something I can answer about how toys are made or my thoughts on stuff, love to hear from people because I love uh, getting topic suggestions because so I do a video every day. Um, so check it out, Spectra Creative on YouTube. You've been listening to the Six Sense Media podcast. You can find more of our celebrity, composer, musician, and filmmaker interviews, as well as pop culture roundtable discussions on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Pandora. Be sure to check out our vast library of entertainment industry coverage, including on-set reporting from your favorite TV series and movies at SixSense.com.